message. Lord, I thank you so much for the message that you've placed in my heart. Lord, I thank you for the message that, that as we hear it, as, as we have ears to hear what it is you're saying to this church and what it is you're saying to us, Lord, I pray that we would be blessed by it, we would be encouraged by it, we would be challenged by it. Lord, that it would stay with us, that we wouldn't just leave it here, but we would take it home with us, we would discuss it with our family members and our friends. That we would carry it with us, that we would use it. We thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. These last few weeks, we have been uh, discussing, or really me sharing, about the progressiveness of God's call on our life, right? So what's the initial call that God has for you? Anybody? Salvation, thank you. Everybody okay with that? The initial call of God on your life is to be saved. It's to come to know Jesus as Lord and Master. Amen? This is a tough audience this morning, Doreen. The first thing that God has for us, the first calling, is towards salvation. Amen? Amen. How many, how many are saved this morning? Come on. If you're not, we can pray right now. If you're not, we can pray right now. It looks like everybody here is good, but how many love the Lord? How many glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? How many glad you're not stuck at home? I know there's some people watching online that are stuck at home right now, but, but we welcome you back whenever you can be back. Amen. So we look forward to them being here. But this morning, I want us to get excited about the call of God in our life. Are anybody excited about God's call in their life? So we have the initial call is the call of salvation, and then the secondary call is the call to action. It's the missionary call. It's what God has called us to do and where God has placed us in our lives. For some people, God has called you to do something, but where you are is just waiting to get there, right? It's not delayed. It's just not quite yet. I've shared uh, my story multiple times in this church, including just a couple weeks ago. And so there's no need to rehash every part of it. But in case you weren't here or in case you missed it, I'll give you the highlights. So I dropped out of high school. I worked third shift at a gas station. I felt called to go to college. And so then I went and got my high school equivalency. And then I got accepted into college and eventually graduated from college. And that was great. But while I was in college, so I've shared all that with you, but I haven't shared this. While I was in my first semester of college, I began to feel extremely out of place. I really did. I don't know if you've ever felt out of place, but I felt out of place. I was a couple years older than uh, the other freshmen who were there. And really, uh, my, it was interesting. I related more to the staff than I did the students. And then I had my dorm roommate who was kicked out of the school for misconduct. And so now I'm in my dorm alone I'm isolated, and I feel out of place already, but now I'm separated from people. It's interesting because I felt this overwhelming condemnation about what God had called me to in my life. And here are the words that kept ringing in my mind. These are the words, you made too many mistakes. 
You've made too many mistakes. It's too late for you to be used. That's what, that's what I felt consistently in my mind. The enemy was condemning me. You've made too many mistakes. Here's the other thing that was said. If you had been here earlier, God could use you more. How many of you ever felt out of place? I have. I felt out of place. I felt isolated. But the interesting thing is this. As I was feeling this condemnation, as I was feeling this isolation, I believe God kept encouraging me in the truth that no matter what my past has been, I was now being trained for the mission he had for me in the future. Amen? Hey, I'm living it right now. Amen? Come on. God was training me up for the mission he had for me in the future. Because the, the truth is this, and I want you to hear this carefully. God's call on your life doesn't mean that you are perfect. Amen? Don't say amen too loud, right? Amen? The, the message this morning is titled Imperfection. A lot of times we think about men of God and women of God, and when we hold them up on a pedestal, we hold up pastors and leaders and preachers, and, and we think of them as perfect people. If you require from perfection from your leaders, I have to tell you, you're going to be disappointed. At some point, you're going to be disappointed because what you're going to find out is that we share a lot of the same burdens and worries and temptations and failures that you do. Leaders deal and struggle just like you do. One of the great things about the Bible is that it shows us not just the victories of our biblical heroes, but it shows us the downfalls of these men and women who love the Lord, who have a heart for God, but still struggle with their humanity. They still struggle with their flesh. Giants in our faith. I mean giants in our faith that fell more than once to temptation, fear, worry, depression, anxiety, and sin. Giants in our faith that were imperfect. But how many know that when, when, when we hear, when we talk about the call of God, that he has made a way for us through Jesus Christ to have relationship with him no matter what our past was. Amen? Amen. In other words, it's this. God's promises to you doesn't require perfection from you. Are you hearing that this morning? God's promises to you don't require perfection from you. This morning, I want to take a look at one of our great fathers in the faith. Now, he had and eventually he fulfills God's call on his life. But we will see that it is not without some major, major trip-ups in his personal life. I want to forewarn you, I may mix up the names. So we know, uh, some of you may be aware and some may not, that in the Old Testament there was Abram and there was Abraham. And there was Sarai and there was Sarah. So Abraham, or Abram, eventually becomes Abraham. And Sarai eventually becomes Sarah. And every once in a while when I'm saying Abraham, I mean Abram. And when I say Abram, I'm meaning 
Abram. Amen? So there might be some confusion. I'm going to warn you that I might get the, the, the words mixed up a little bit. But I'm referring to Abram and Sarai this morning. So we're going to jump back and forth a little bit in Scripture. But I want to start in Genesis chapter 15. And we're going to start with verse 1. It says this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be the heir. If we look at the scripture, it's Abram sort of complaining to God. He's saying, Lord, I have no children. I'm childless. And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. Eliezer would have been like his chief assistant or, or, or uh, his vice president of the company. Amen. So Eliezer is going to inherit everything. I don't have a child. I don't have anything to inherit all the things that you've given me. So God, what's going on? He's kind of complaining to God, but God says this, do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. I'm your very great reward. It's after he says this that Abram says, well, wait a minute. What about my kids? What about my offspring? He says this, verse 4. Go to the next slide. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Have you ever gone outside at night and looked up at the stars? I do it quite often. I actually love to do it. I go outside at night and I just kind of look up at the stars. And the last few nights have been a little cloudy, so I haven't been able to do it too much. But I imagine Abram goes outside and looks up at the stars and God says, look at all of the stars. Look at the multitudes of stars that are out there. That's going to be the number of your descendants. So you think millions and millions of people. Verse 6, Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness as righteousness. I like what the message says. That God declared him set right with God. That's what righteousness means. That we are set right with God. The question then simply comes as to why. Go to the first, uh, first slide there. Mike, thanks. Why did Abram need to be reminded of the blessing of God on his life. Because he's heard the blessing before. You should know that. Abram had heard the blessing before, and now he had to be reminded of the blessing again. So why is it that Abram had to be reminded? How many, how many ever had to been reminded of God's promises for you? God, it hasn't happened quite yet. It has, hasn't happened quite yet. And so God just reminds you, no, no, this is what I've called you to. This is, this is what your purpose is. This is what the mission is. And so God reminds you of those things. But Abram had trouble remembering 
about what God had already promised him. So why did he have trouble? Where did he have trouble? The answer is this, because Abram messed up. He did. Abram messed up in his life. And you say, Pastor David, what do you mean? Where did he mess up? It started with his wife. All the men said, Amen. Oh, boy. It started with his wife. Tread, tread carefully, Pastor David. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Yeah. It started with his wife. Here's the thing. It's interesting. Many times in the Bible, uh, when we look at, I don't know that we have a very accurate picture of what different people look like. Do you know what I mean? In the Bible, we, we don't have very accurate descriptions of people and what they look like in their physical appearance. The truth is that there are just aren't very many physical descriptions of people in the Bible. But there are some. Uh, how many remember uh, Laban had, uh, had two daughters? One named Rachel and one named Leah. Right? What does the Bible say about this? It's interesting. Genesis 29.16 says this. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. It's interesting. Uh, that's the Bible's way of saying that Rachel was a 10 and Leah was a 2. You know what I'm saying? Weak eyes is how they described her there, Doug. It's interesting. So here, that's how they described Rachel and Leah, that there were some people that are very attractive, and there are some people that are not so attractive. So God uses, or the Bible uses the same language in describing Sarai. We have a clear description of Sarai. It's interesting. Uh, I want to ask you a strange question. What do you think Sarai looked like? If you think about Abraham and Sarah, I think of two older people. I do. I've always had that picture in my head as two older people. But if we think about Abram and Sarai, now they're younger people. What do you think Sarai looked like? It's a question we don't ask ourselves very often, but there is a point to it in Scripture. And I want to read you in the next Scripture. It says this, Genesis verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 10 through 11. Then a famine came to the land. Abram went down to Egypt to live, and it was a hard famine. And as he drew near to Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, Look, we both know that you're a beautiful woman. That's interesting. We both know that you're a beautiful woman. Listen, Sarai was gorgeous. She was stunning. He knew it, and his wife knew it, right? He married up. Amen. How many men know how many men married up? Every man should raise your hand right now. If you're married, you should raise your hand. Right? Listen, her beauty was unmatched. Here's the interesting thing. In, in according to Jewish legend, it said, this is funny, that all women looked like monkeys compared to her. Yeah. There's some, I don't want to get myself in trouble here. 
In fact, this is interesting. Listen, we have a picture that is, a, that, that is if Sarai was alive today, what would she look like? So if she was alive today, what would she look like? Here's the picture. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I am such a blessed man. I'm not a fool. Are you kidding me? Listen, he saw her and knew that God had made a good thing. Amen? Come on, man. Do you understand what I'm saying? He saw her and God, he knew God made a good thing. Right? Man, do you hear what I'm saying this morning? How many men say, yep, God made a good thing for my, look at your wife. Men, 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 look at your wife. Say, you're a good thing. Where's Jeff? Jeff, look at, look at Kay. Mark, look at Carrie. Come on. Doug, what do you have to say to your wife? Two, he said, two thumbs up. Good thing. I hope you're wise enough to look at your wives, Rudy, and say, you too, honey, you too. Right? Abram knows that he has a good-looking woman. And he also knows that it will be trouble for him in Egypt. Man, he's got a good-looking woman. He goes, this is going to be trouble. Austin, you too, honey. <laughs> well, he knows he's going to have trouble in Egypt, and he makes one of the worst decisions of his life. One of the absolute worst decisions of his life. Genesis chapter 12, verses uh, 12 and 13. says this. When the Egyptians see that you are going to say that's his wife, see you, they're going to say, that's his wife, and kill me. But they'll let you live. Do me a favor. Say, do me a favor. Tell them you're my sister. Because of you, they'll welcome me and let me live. Listen, I know he's a father in the faith, and I don't want to seem too disrespectful this morning, but this was without a doubt. One of the most boneheaded, I mean, fear-filled, beyond stupid suggestion. One of the most boneheaded, fear-filled, stupid, stupid suggestions. And Sarah, Sarai, her mistake, it seems, is that out of the same fear, she goes along with the plan. Yeah, yeah, okay, Abram, that sounds good. So she has the same fear. It leads her to do the same thing. In verse 14 and 15, it says this. When Abram arrived in Egypt, the Egyptians took one look and saw that his wife was stunningly beautiful. Pharaoh's princes raved over her to the Pharaoh. She was taken to live with the Pharaoh. She was taken to live with the Pharaoh. Verse 16 says this. Because of her, Abram got along very well. Say very well. He accumulated sheep and cattle, and male and female donkeys, men and women servants and camels. All of that just to give up his wife. Now, I don't want to get into the weeds here, but I want to have a clear understanding of the situation. Sarai is now living with the Pharaoh. And according to most every commentary I looked at, 
the, the consensus is that she is being with him physically. Be careful with my words here. She's with the Pharaoh physically. And Abram is getting paid. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? Abram is getting paid and paid well. Verse 17. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. The message says it this way. God hit Pharaoh hard. God hit Pharaoh hard. Now listen, as bad as this is, and it's bad. Do, do we understand how bad this is? Do we understand how revolting this is? Do we understand uh, there uh Abram pimped out his wife. Do we understand that this morning? Well, we, we, we don't like to think about the downfalls sometimes. We don't think, like to think about the low points sometimes. But when we think about David, it's hard not to think about Bathsheba. Right? When we think about Abram, it's hard not to think about Hagar later on. When we think about Abram now, it's hard not to think that when it came to Egypt and it came to the Pharaoh, he gave his wife over willingly for stuff. He didn't want to be killed, and he got paid. So this is bad. But we have to remember that God still has a plan for Abram and Sarai. Amen? Once Sarai is with the Pharaoh, God hits him hard, and although we aren't quite sure how it's come to be known, Pharaoh eventually discovers who Sarai really is. This is You can't make this up. This is not bold and the beautiful. Or what are the soap operas? I don't know what the soap operas are today. General Hospital, is that a, this, this, is a, this is true soap opera biblical stuff. Right? I mean, crazy stuff. The Pharaoh discovers that the woman that he's been with is somebody else's wife who said it was his sister. It's, I don't know any of the other ones. I don't know the names of the other ones. That's okay. But the interesting thing is this. Listen, how many can acknowledge Abram made mistakes? Right? Big mistakes. Abram was a father of our faith. A father of our faith. He's a hero of our faith. We used to sing songs about him when we were kids. Kids today don't do that so much more, but we sang songs about him, right? This is the guy. And boy, he messed up. He messed up. The question is simply this. Have you ever been there? Not, probably not to the degree that Abram had messed up. Hopefully, not to the degree that Abram had messed up. But have you ever been there where you have messed up so bad? You have messed up so bad by choices that you made in your life to go down the path of least resistance. I messed up so bad that God can't use me anymore. 
I've been there where I've had where I've had thoughts. God could not use me. Maybe you've been there. I don't know. Maybe I'm just preaching to myself this morning. Am I preaching to myself this morning? No. Have you ever been there? God can't use me. But if we look at the Bible, and I want to say this clearly, if we look at the Bible this morning, we're going to see that we're in good company, John. We're going to see that we're in really good company. Listen to this. Jacob was a cheater. Peter had a temper and was a bigot. David had an affair. Noah got drunk. Jonah ran from God. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossiper. Martha was a warrior. Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Thomas, uh, Moses stuttered. Right? Zacchaeus was short. Right? Come on. Hey, listen, listen. Abraham was old and Lazarus was dead. But God still used them. Amen? How many know God can use you? Right? Because there are times where we are imperfect. Steve, are you ever imperfect? I've only encountered one thing of perfection in my life. Besides Jesus Christ, Bergen Steakhouse, I think is what it's called. It's a good advertisement for people that should go there. I've only encountered one perfect person in my life, and that's Christ. And so when I think about what Christ has done for me, that he took my place on the cross, that his blood was shed for me, that while I may be imperfect, he is perfection. While I may have messed up time and time and time again, his blood covers my sins. Amen? Pastor David, you don't understand what I've done. You don't know my history. You don't know my past. No, I might not know every aspect of your past, but I can tell you your future if you were under the blood of the Lamb. And that is a future of redemption and righteousness. Pastor David, you don't know. Listen, here's what I know. I know God wants to use you, Mike. 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 There's like three mics in a row right here. Mike, Mike, Mike. Listen, God wants to use you. God has called you. God will redeem you, and he will set you as righteous by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? That's what he does. He's in the redemption business. If you don't know the Bible, if you don't know what happens, you know that Abram didn't stay Abram. And Sarai didn't stay Sarai. Abram becomes Abraham. Sarai becomes Sarah. Still not perfect, but moving in the direction that God has called them to. Amen? Doing what God has called them to. I want to end this morning by moving from the Old Testament into the New. Because in the New, we're under the blood. Amen? How many glad to be under the blood? I know I am. I am glad to be under the blood of the Lamb, right? So we come to Christ, and in our soul, we are cleansed and made righteous, right? But how many know how often we screw up? Haven't you ever been there? 
How many know we screw up sometimes? We love the Lord. We push hard after Him in our faith. But sometimes we just screw up. Before we leave this morning, I want to direct you to the words of the Apostle Paul. We're going to look in 2 Corinthians 12, in verse 7. It says this. I'm going to explain it here in a minute. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. Let's break this down. The Apostle Paul had been given so many incredible revelations by God. So many incredible revelations. What God had spoken to him personally. And he says this, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. God, you've given me all these revelations. And so because I don't want to have a big head, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I become exalted above measure. Here's what he's saying, that he has a thorn in the flesh to keep him from getting a big head. It keeps him humble. Amen? How many know it's good to be humble? So it keeps him humble. He says, concerning this thing, we don't know what it is. We have no idea what it is. It could have been worry, anxiety, sin. We're not sure exactly what it was. But what we know is that it came to him at least three times. This thorn in the flesh, this struggle that he had to deal with. It might have been a physical ailment. might have been a spiritual ailment. We're not sure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. You see, it's interesting. Before God changed his name, he was called Saul. And he did horrible things in the name, to Christians. He did absolutely horrible things to Christians. And of course, we know on the road to Damascus, God grabbed a hold of him and he showed himself in a mighty way and he became a follower of Christ, right? But still, he was human. He made mistakes. He had to deal with temptations and struggles, just like we all do. But then God spoke to him in this extraordinary way, and he did it in verse 9. He says this, And he said to me, that's God saying to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I want you to understand this morning that no matter what you've done, God has a calling on your life. I want you to understand this morning, no matter what your past may be, God has a calling on your life. You say, Pastor David, I'm, I'm too bad. I'm too wrong. I've messed up. We all have. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Will you stand with me this morning? For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for those who are here this morning. Those who are here that say, Pastor David, I've messed up. I think we could all at some point say that we've messed up, right? The enemy has tormented us at some point. And he's done his best over and over and over to make you question God's call on your life.
And so many times he, he does it by dredging up our past. That's what the enemy does, right? He, he dredges up our past. He says, you messed up too much. God can't use you. Paul hears the words of God. He says, my grace is sufficient for thee. And then, and then he says this, and he ends this in chapter 9, verse 10, or chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Go to the next slide there, Mikey. It says this, therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, say when I am weak, then he is strong. Amen. There are times of weakness in our life. There are times that humanity comes into the picture. There are times of imperfection in our walk. But his grace is sufficient for us this morning. Amen. Lord, I thank you for your grace this morning. I thank you for the sufficiency of your word. I thank you that when I am weak, then I am strong through you. Lord, I pray over those who are here this morning. That no matter what their past may be, may they understand that you have a calling upon their life. No matter what their history may be, may they understand that you have called them to something good and great and beyond their own capability. Lord, I pray that when that voice of condemnation comes, that voice from the enemy trying to remind them of what they did and who they were. Lord, you would encourage us in reminding us that you are our strength, that you are our shield, that you are our portion. We thank you for your redemptive, redemptive power in our lives. Lord, I thank you that your grace is sufficient for me. Lord, I pray over those who are here this morning. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would keep them. Lord, I pray that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, I pray that you would give them rest. In Jesus' name, amen.